We've been to all four corners of Britain in our quest to interview the great and good of entertainment. Comics, actors, writers, politicians, singers, dancers and choreographers. It doesn't matter who they are. They've all given me their own take on the world they live in and have, in their own way, helped to define what makes Britain great. So join me and my assistants as we get another insight into the marvellous and enigmatic world of showbiz here on Beyond the Title. Graduating from the Barbara Speaks Stage School in 1976, writer and comedian Jeff Stevenson made his TV debut on LWT's Search for a Star in 1979 before becoming a regular on the panel show Punchlines alongside Lenny Bennett and Joe Brown. As one of Britain's leading warm-up men, Stevenson supported some of the biggest faces in entertainment and hosted two series of the ITV game show Jumble and the LWT show Knees Up in 1984. As a live comic, Jeff adopted the pseudonym Harvey Oliver and continues to be in demand on the comedy club circuit. I caught up with the evergreen comedy star to talk heroes, jokes, and his recollections on a glittering career in entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeff Stevenson. Firstly, you've had a varied career working with some of the most prolific entertainment figures of the 20th century. It's a difficult question to ask, but who was your favourite? Uh, definitely Jimmy Tarver. Why is that? Definitely. Um, because when I started out, when I was well, when I was a kid, a little kid watching Sunday Night at the Palladium, he was what I wanted to do. He, he was doing what I wanted to do. He, what he 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 achieved at such a young age was exactly what I wanted to do, and I idolised him a bit. Um, and also, along the same lines, and it's quite sad that I'm saying this, Des O'Connor as well. You know, we just lost him a, a few days ago. Um, they, I, I associated them both with the London Palladium, which. My mum and my my uh, nan uh, and my uncle used to take me to um, to watch the, the shows. And I watched a lot with Jimmy Tarbuck, Cliff Richard, Arthur Askey, um, Des O'Connor, Val Doonigan, just loads of them. And I loved going to the Palladium. And so I associated those sort of personalities, Max Bygraves, all those giants of when I was a kid with show business and what I wanted to do. It was fantastic. Mm. Josh just added, it's a bit funny now, but uh, you don't realise how big of a star he actually was nowadays. Jimmy Tarbuck. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And to achieve so much at the age, I think he was about 23, to be able to go live every Sunday. I've worked, I, I haven't really, uh, over the years, had much chance to watch uh, the tapings of those shows, but recently there was this um, uh, TV channel that brought them out, and uh, I sat and watched them, and it was just unbelievable. I mean, you know, interviewing big, big stars of the day, live, topical comedy, holding the shows together. And he just, he, he just, he's still got it as well, Jimmy. I was with him uh, a few months ago on uh, New Year's Eve 
And um, I arrived, this is a true story, I, I got booked to do a, a New Year's Eve party in someone's house. And uh, I arrived and I walk in and the first person I see is Jimmy Tarbuck. I thought, oh, my God. Right? And then I looked over and then there's Des O'Connor. I thought, same words again. Right? And then I look over, there's Chris Tarrant and there's Tony Hatch. And I said to the guy, is this a setup? He said, what do you mean? I said, I, is it, I mean, this is the scariest thing ever to be appearing in front of my peers in your lounge. You know, and uh, I, Jimmy came over and without a word of a lie, he said, I'm, I'm so chuffed you're here. He said, do you want me to introduce you? He said, because this is not an easy gig working in someone's lounge. And um, I said, yeah, I said, that would be unbelievable. Thank you very much. And uh, he said, and don't worry, I won't be sat in front. I'm going to go and sit in the other room. Uh, I said, you sit where you want. I said, you, you know, but he was so thoughtful that he was thinking, I know if that was the other way round, but he would be scared because mm. he's, you know, he knows, he knew why, or he knows what I think uh, of him. Uh, and Des, of course, as well. Des was sitting there. And so it was just, yeah, just an, an unbelievable evening. That's just the New Year's Eve just gone. That's mad. So, yeah. that, is a, that is a good story yeah. to tell as well. It's a true, true story. I think it's the first time I've ever told it as well. Wow. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Exclusive. Exclusive. <laughs> <Not> exclusive. <laughs> now, an, an interesting thing about your early career was your first agent was June Collins, and uh, she was a mother yeah. of Phil. Now, she was. How did she shape your early career? Um, she, she taught me to, um, to be ambitious to go for it. Uh, and the, the other lady there was Barbara Speak, whose school it was. June was the agent for the school. It was the Barbara Speak Stage School. And, uh, yeah, she just used to say, go for it, you know. Um, she gave me some advice very early on, which, in a way, I wish I'd taken more serious because I said, oh, I want to do some warm-ups, TV warm-ups, to um, get myself in. And she said, don't do warm-ups. You will become pigeonholed. You, they'll just think of you as a warm-up man. And, I mean, fortunately, I proved that she was sort of right, but there again, she was sort of wrong, because like Brian, who I, I know you've introduced, uh, interviewed as well, Brian Conley, uh, doing warm-ups, we both got TV from doing warm-ups, but we were lucky. Um, a lot of other comics that have done warm-ups, you just get seen as the warm-up man. Uh, for instance, many years on, when I was doing a lot of warm-ups, after I'd done quite a bit of television. I was leaving um, Pebble Mill. I was leaving the studios uh, to go to uh, do a show in Birmingham. And we did the show in the afternoon. I was, I was rushing out. I had my suit bag on my back. And this 12-year-old producer said to me, he said, Jeff, where are you going? So uh, a young producer, you know. So I said, oh, I've got a gig. And he said, oh, are you in a band? He didn't realise... I was a comedian. He didn't realise a gig to me was a comedy gig. He thought I was in a band. And that's exactly what June was saying. You get pigeonholed as the woman up there. You know. That was a bit like Felix Bonus. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Felix was a lovely old friend of mine. And he always used to come up to me at the BBC because we would all be there on a Sunday afternoon 
Bobby Bragg, who I'm sure you know, Josh, or you knew, he unfortunately passed on. Uh, Bobby Bragg would be there, a guy called Bill Martin, Felix Bones, uh, myself, um, and in later days, uh, Ray Turner and Andy Collins, all these people. We would all be at the BBC um, warming up situation comedies because in those days, there'd be about six, maybe five or six situation comedies being recorded on a Sunday night because most of the actors were in the West End. And we'd all meet up and have coffee. And Felix was, he was great. He was a lovely guy. Uh, and it's a well-known story at the BBC. Felix used to go around the tables at lunch, giving out his card, telling jokes to the producers and saying, don't forget me, you know. So, yeah, proper, proper character. And he had a link with the Isle of Wight, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, you met him about 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was a lovely man, lovely man, Felix. Yeah. Uh, like you just said, you attended the Barbara Speaks stage school as a teenager. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, yeah. drama and performing arts degrees are a staple of most education centres. But how did it feel doing something which many considered revolutionary for its time? Uh, well, I was I was just so lucky. I mean, uh, um, the story of how I got into the school is, is uh, one I'm going to tell you. Uh, I've, I've told it a few times. But I was at a normal um, state school, I suppose you would call it, a, I think we called it a secondary comprehensive school called Faraday. And it was opposite the Barbara Speaks School in East Acton. And at the time, I was doing, uh, I used to go and do talent contests when we were on holiday at Butlins. And I used to really want to be in show business. It was a big thing. I was about 13, I think. Anyway, <laughs> I was at this school, and on a, uh, in the evenings, I used to work uh, in a greengrocer's shop called Frank's in East Acton. And he had a very attractive daughter who was 15 called Vicky. And Vicky used to walk in every evening when I'd be unloading the, or loading up the van uh, and cleaning up the back of the uh, greengrocers. And Vicky would walk in and she would be in the Barber Speak uniform. And I said to her, I said, oh, I said, I would love to go to stage school. I said, you know, it's, it's everything I want to do. I want to be a comedian. I want to be an actor. And she said, why don't you go and have a word with Mrs. Collins? I didn't know who Mrs. Collins was. She said, why don't you go and have a word with Mrs. Collins and see if you can go on the agency? because you, you'd be good for the agency and you could go up for commercial. I, thought, I said, this is brilliant. I didn't even mention this to my mum and dad. So the next day, we came out of um, Faraday, the school, and we were all of us were go, going for lunch. We used to go to this chip shop. <laughs> we're walking past the school where a few weeks before we were taking the mickey out of all the boys uh, in the school because they were like, you know, oh, thinking they're in show business and calling them names that you would never say now. And uh, we're walking past, and I immediately went, right, I'm going to go for it. And I just darted in to the school. My mate said, where are you going? Where are you going? Oh, he's, gone. he's gone. So I, I go straight in the door, and this lady comes out, who I can only say looked like Princess Anne on drugs. <laughs> and uh, she, she had big glasses, hair, <laughs> hair tied. And she went, who are you? What do you, what do you want? And I said, my name's Jeff Stevens, my real name. I said, my name's Jeff Stevens. And I want to be a comedian. I said, um, Vicky at um, Vicky uh, Hewitt has told me, or I think Vicky Strap, yeah, Vicky Hewitt has told me, but I can come in and maybe you'll put me on your agency. She said, come with me. So we go into this office and this lovely lady 
this lovely glamorous lady was sitting there, this blonde lady. And uh, she said, who's this, Barbara? And she said, this is Jeff Stevens. And he wants to be a comedian. So she said, oh, she said, you go to the school opposite. So I said, yeah. So she said, well, have you ever done comedy before? I said, yes. I said, you've done talent shows. She went, show us what you can do. So I did two minutes of jokes and they both laughed. And um, uh, June Collins said to me, when can you join the school? So I said, well, um, I've got to tell my mum. I said, what do you mean? She went, I said, they won't be able to afford the fees. She said, we'll take you. We'll take you on a, we'll give you a grant. We'll give, we, we would love you to join the school. I said, well, when, when I, can I join? She said, tomorrow. So I went, right. So I go back to my mum and my, my dad. I tell them. And they said, well, you go for it. You always wanted to do it. And if you, you haven't got to pay school fees, fair enough. I, go, I phoned them up to tell them this at lunchtime. I go back into Faraday and I, I have to go in to see the headmaster to tell him that I'm leaving his school. And I was a troublemaker. Not a troublemaker, but I was always in trouble because I was always making the class laugh. And I go in to see this um, t- teacher, Mr. Mead, who was the headmaster. And he, 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 he was really strict. And he looked up, he said, Stevens, what have you done now? I said, sir, I've come to tell you I'm leaving. I'm going to another school. He said, what school? I said, Barbara Speak School tomorrow. And he went, get out of here. And as I walked out, he went, my God. He said, another boy with ambition. And I always went into my head, another boy with ambition, because he was so used to just sending kids out and, you know, they go to do apprenticeships and what have you. And I, I really wanted to go for it. And I'm so pleased I did. And the next day, I was at Barbara Speaks. And a week later, I was in the two runners doing a sketch with Piggy Malone. That's crazy, isn't so they, it? Yeah. Mm. Sorry about my stories are long. I'm sorry about this. Really, guys. really, really interesting. <laughs> really good. Now, uh, you made your TV debut in 1979 on LWT's Search for a Star. How did, this, how did this give you a grounding in live performance, uh, which you could build upon throughout your career? Um, well, it was a great thing to do. I was, well, I was lined up to do another uh, BBC show. I was doing a summer season in uh, Colwyn Bay with Ivor Emanuel. And um, I think it was only about, nine, what, what year was it? 79. I was 18. 1979, yeah. I was 18. And um, I... Um, I was doing, there was a, a, an ITV strike. There was a long strike that summer. And uh, I was lined up to do an, an, another show. And then that fell out. And then my agent, a lovely lady called Sheila Tozer, said there's a, a gentleman at um, London Weekend called David Bell. And we all knew who David Bell was. He was a big, he was the big guy for light entertainment, if you look back. And um, he, she said he, he, he's seen you. And he's got, uh, there's a, a gentleman who works for him who's the talent coordinator for London Weekend called Bill Hettersley, and he's seen you work. Uh, and they would like to book you to do Search for a Star. It's a talent competition, but they're throwing money at it. They're doing you know, big band dancers, Brian Rogers dancers. Um, it was just a real big budget show. And uh, so I couldn't believe it. So I did it. I worked with two writers called Gary Chambers and Dennis Burson. And I went on that show. And I, I did okay. I didn't storm it. Um, I came second from last uh, with another comic called uh, Water G. And um, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't happy that I'd lost, but there you go. That was one of those things. Um, but as I was walking out the studio into the uh, green room, David Bell said, how do you feel about doing some warm-ups? And I said, 
I've never done one in my life. He said, come tomorrow and watch Bill Martin. He said, because we're doing another show. He said, and next week I want you to do the show because Bill can't do it. And that was how I got into television. So um, it did work. And it, uh, But I was I was 18. I, I was so young, too young to, to go on television and do a live uh, TV. Well, it wasn't live, a, a TV spot like that. But, you know, I'm glad I did it. I'd love to find a tape, but all the tapes seem to have been wiped. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, throughout the early 80s, you appeared on the ITV panel show Punchlines. Now, what yes. set this show apart from similar shows of the time like Call My Bluff and Joker's Wild? Well, Punchlines was a typical LWT show. You know, it was Lenny Bennett. It was all um, very quick and, f- and funny at the time. Uh, I got that. I mean, the story how I got that. I was, by this time, I changed agents, and I was with a guy called Byron Godfrey. And... Um, he went into his office uh, in between Christmas and New Year. And I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't doing Panto that year. I think I was about 20. And I wasn't doing Panto. And I wasn't happy about it. I wasn't happy about it. I had nothing to do over Christmas. And so he phones me and he said, um, I think I might have got you six Saturday night shows. So I said, you're joking. He said, well, there was a message on my answer phone from Nikki Finch at London Weekend. And she's looking uh, for someone who, you know, maybe she said, have you got anybody? We need somebody to come in. Um, I think it was because Michael Barrymore had pulled out at the time. He wasn't a big star at the time. And he was in the West End with uh, Little and Large in a Christmas show. So he suggested me. Nicky said, yes, that'd be great. So suddenly uh, I'd gone from being out of work over Christmas to being on every Saturday, sat in the box as a guest with Lenny Bennett. And it was great fun. Uh, and I mean, it sort of, it, it helped get things rolling a bit, you know? Yeah, well, in your opinion, how has the nature of joke telling changed over your career? Oh, it's changed big style. When when I started out, it was um, still fashionable to do uh, jokes like a man walked into a bar, you know, or you would actually tell a joke that you probably might have heard in the pub. And also the subject matter was a, a lot... Um, people were... People, there was two things, two schools of thought. People weren't effect, so easily offended and comedians didn't worry about offending people. The reason they didn't worry about offending people really was because they didn't, they didn't really think about it. And I remember, I, I was no saint. I used to do jokes about bus drivers, you know, I don't know, uh, and all this stuff because they were, you know, maybe from the West Indies or whatever. Uh, I would do jokes about my girlfriend and my girlfriend's mother, which were the equivalent of mother-in-law jokes. Uh, I used to do jokes, you know, the Irish jokes and all that. But I tell you, it wasn't long before I started thinking, hang on, this is old-fashioned and this is not this is not my way of thinking. So I started working really topical, trying to work as clean as possible, even in the clubs. And uh, I stopped doing, like, man walked into a bar I would do I walked into a bar I was in a bar yesterday and this even if it was an old joke I would make out but it had happened to me and it was personal to me rather than you know Paddy walked into a bar or, or whatever you know which I'm, I'm saying this in the old context of, I would never do the you know the Irish thing or anything like that now that's, that's not my and it hasn't been for many many years no <laughs> Yeah. 
Josh just said it's like in the style of Bob Monkhouse. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Well, it was Bob Monkhouse, who I loved. I loved Bob. He was a, and he was a nice man, and we both shared the same um, passion for uh, uh, the same sort of stand-up, especially the American stand-ups. You know, we we both loved um, watching American shows and listening to American shows. Uh, but also, there was a guy at the time, um, uh, Ted, Ted Ted Rogers, who was a great topical one-liner man. You know, and he used to work with a guy from the Isle of Wight called Wally Molston, who was a scriptwriter. Uh, I'm sure Wally was from the Isle of Wight, or there's a connection somewhere along the line with the Isle of Wight. So, yeah, I used to, and I used to love watching, I used to get uh, tapes of um, Johnny Carson uh, in the States, and it, Johnny Carson's monologues when he used to come out and uh, he would do topical material. It was just brilliant. I loved all that. Can you tell us a little bit about your time on the ITV game show, Jumble? Jumble, yeah, another one that came out of the blue. I was uh, I was working in Great Yarmouth doing a summer season with Freddie Starr, but I'm all right now. And um, <laughs> and and, uh, and this producer came to watch the show, a guy called Colin Eldred, and he watched and he came back. He said, "I haven't got anything for you, but I'm going to remember you." So I said, "Right, okay." And I was, I suppose, I was about I don't know, twenty nine, thirty. And um, I, I think it was a year or so later, I got a phone call out of the blue. Uh, and by this time, I was representing myself. I didn't have an agent. That's Sorry. probably Colin Eldred ringing with the third series. So, <laughs> so Colin Eldred, he said to me, he said, um, uh, he, he said, would you like to have a look at a game show that we're doing on ITV? Jumble. Uh, uh, it's called Jumble. It's from the States. He said, and, uh, I'd like you to have a look at it and do the pilot for me. So I said, does that mean I would do the series? He said, not necessarily, but let's see how we go. So we did the pilot, and it was all about anagrams and cartoons. And uh, a lovely guy called Howard Ember was the writer on it, and uh, he also used to help me because it was quite a complicated show, even though it didn't look it um, to, to do. And um, it was interviewing celebrities. The first show, we had Michael Groff. Uh, from uh, That's Life and we had a comedian called Ellie Lane and we did the show and uh, in Norwich and we went to the um, green room afterwards and I said to Colin Elger, I said, well, what do you think? He said, it's going nowhere. He said, it's, it's, the, the format doesn't work for us. And I said, oh, well, that's a shame. I'm really sorry to hear that. He said, don't worry. He said, it'll be a video for your cabinet. So anyway, we did 56 shows after that. Wow. <laughs> so uh, and the irony is that before that, I, in one year, I did 10 pilots. And every pilot that show that we did, I would um, I would get uh, to the green room and the producer or the director would say, this is going to run. We're really going to have a great one out of this. This is going to be a big hit. And each one was a failure, but we didn't even go to a series. So uh, whenever anybody told me the show was crap or it didn't work, um, I thought, oh, maybe this has got some legs in it. Mm. Well, in 1984, you took over from Chaz and Dave on the LWT variety show, uh, Up. How important was it to have your own TV format? The Chaz and Dave situation. Chaz and Dave, um, I was great mates with Chaz and Dave, and I've worked with them loads of times. And I was on their first, on the first series of Knees Up, which was called Chaz and Dave's Knees Up. And um, obviously, David Bell was involved. And uh, it went very well. 
Uh, and then about a year later, they decided to bring these up back, but I think they wanted to change the format to make it more of a variety show. And so um, uh, I, I got, I mean, I got asked, I think there was a few of us that got asked to, to do it. And um, I made it down to the sort of final list and uh, I got the show, which was great. But once again, 23 years old, I think I was, too young. Too young to host a Sunday night variety show. You know, it should have really, I should have really kept going, doing guest spots and what have you, and then um, hoped to have got one when I was about 27 with a bit more experience. But, you know, it was great. Unfortunately, I only ran one series. Um, but we, we we had a lot of laughs, and it was a great experience, and it did do me a lot of good for a few years. Because, you know, when you did telly in those days, uh, you could ride on the back of it. You know, you do a great panto and a nice summer season and all that stuff. Well, as a live comedian, you've become a regular at comedy clubs such as Jonglers. Now, what's yeah. still the thrill of live performance for you? I love live comedy. I love doing stand-up. Um, and I love the, the challenge that Jonglers gave me and, and the different comedy clubs. Uh, the challenge that they, they gave me was you could not go into a comedy club and get away with doing old jokes. So I had to write. And I wrote a... Um, uh, I, well, I wrote a 20-minute set originally um, and I, I had changed my name to Harvey Oliver just for the comedy clubs because I knew that I was going to be a bit more... Um, the language was going to be a little bit more um, adult than it would be in the other shows I was doing. So I could keep the two separate. Jeff Stevenson doing the, um, uh, the corporates and the cruises and the warm-ups and Harvey Oliver was this ranting middle-aged bloke. I used to just go out and rant and moan and shout. And uh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I had 12 great years doing the comedy circuit. Um, I worked with so many young comics who are now great big stars, of the, you know, on, on TV. But why did you opt for the pseudonym Harvey Oliver? Elaborate more on that for us. Um, I went along one night. I was doing, well, believe it or not, I did a comedy course because I wanted to do the comedy clubs. I always wanted to do um, stand-up, what they called alternative comedy. I always wanted to do it. And I used to go along and I would sit in these comedy clubs and watch the comics. Um, because the mainstream comics, we, we had a reputation for nicking material. But I wanted to prove that I could write my own stuff. And so um, I went and did this course at the Cosmic Comedy Club in uh, Chiswick, uh, or it's Hammersmith. And um, uh, there was a great guy, Michael Knighton, who, who was a, a um, he sort of taught comedy and drama and all that sort of stuff. I think he was a film director as well, a film writer. And um, he took took me uh, took me on to do this six week comedy course. And I'd sat in this dark sort of pretty grim comedy club, if, if I'm honest, because uh, they always do look uh, grim comedy clubs when they're shut. And uh, we sat there. Uh, there was me and a few other um, uh, aspiring comics. I wasn't aspiring. I was uh, an old hand. And we all had to get up and do uh, two or three minutes each week. We had to write two or three new minutes each week with the view to doing a showcase at the end of the uh, course. So I was doing it. Every and I started writing this stuff. and I was loving it because even though it I was writing with punchlines, I was writing more, uh, like uh, Josh was saying, um, uh, like you were saying, Josh, um, I was writing more about my, my own life. And at the time, my wife was pregnant. 
uh, with our son, who's now 20 and he's a student. And uh, so I was writing more about life and what was going on. And I loved it. And then after two or three weeks, one night the um, the manager of the club was in, a, a guy called Dave. I think he was actually on the course. No, Dave was on the course. And uh, he was the bars manager. And he said, we do an open night, uh, open mic night here. on a, I think it was either Wednesday or Thursday. Why don't you come along and do Harvey Oliver? Just do three minutes. I said, I'd love it. So he didn't say do Harvey Oliver. I've got, I've got that wrong. He said, come along and uh, do the... Um, uh, the open night, uh, open mic night. So I go along and I walk in and I said, great. And he, he, he puts my name up, Jeff Stevenson, on a blackboard. I said, what's that all about? He said, well, they put all the names of the comics and then they vote who's the winner. It'd be 20 quid. I said, I'm not having my name up there. I said, even though it's not going great for me at the moment, I said, I'm not having Jeff Stevenson up there. And there might be somebody that knows me. I don't want to, you know. I said, put a, a dodgy name up there. He said, well, what name? I said, put Harvey Oliver. He said, it's a great name. So he put Harvey Oliver up there. I went on, did four minutes, really, really went well. All my all new stuff, all stuff I've written. And afterwards, I go to the bar, I'm having a glass of wine at the bar, and uh, I hear my name. I, I hear the name Harvey Oliver come up, and the bloke said, that's you, mate. I went, oh, yeah, what, what, what do they want? And he said, you've won. And I'd won 20 quid. It was the best 20 quid I've ever won in my life because I was doing new stuff. So it started me off doing Harvey Oliver's and within a couple of or two, well, three or four weeks, I was doing, they used to do um, half spots, which would be a, a, a 10 minute spot in a comedy club. And I went along and did uh, a half spot at um, uh, Jonglers in Camden. And within a few weeks, I was headlining. So it was great. I loved it. And I was working with these comics I used to go and watch, you know, and they, they any of them that thought he was, uh, I was going to go in there and nick their material, because a, a few of them did, because I was mainstream. And, um, and I, I, ch- I changed my, my description of my act. I called myself a mid-streamer. So it was great. Great fun. Loved it. I, I miss it, actually. I miss doing the comedy clubs. But it's great now when I see, you know, the people like Jimmy Carr and, and uh, Lee Mack and, and all these, uh, Lee Evans. I see them all absolutely storming it. And I think, well, that was great. It was great to work with them when I, was, I saw them just starting out. Michael McIntyre, I worked with him when he just started out. Well, looking back at your career, what is your proudest achievement? Proudest achievement, I think, would have been when I did Live at Her Majesty's uh, with Jimmy Tarbuck the first time. Um, and I was about, I think I would have been about 26. No, I wasn't. 24. Um, 20, 23, 24. And I, I went on and absolutely had a ball. All, most of it was new topical material written that week. And I just loved it. The fact it was live. It was my comedy hero introducing me. Um, and he'd actually got me on the show because I was doing Knees Up at the time. And uh, he said to Dave, you should have, should have Jeff on. And I, it was just wonderful. And then I did it a few years later. Uh, it was called Life in the Piccadilly then, when I was a lot more experienced. And I, I just thought, hang on, I, 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 this is great, you know. I'm doing what I always wanted to do. And I sat in my nan's front room and watched Sunday night at the London Palladium. That was what I wanted to do. And when I did those two shows, uh, I was out there doing what I'd set out to do when I was a kid. Um, And it was just fantastic. You know, I mean, I've I've been very lucky. I've kept going over the years. Well, what is next for Jeff Stevenson? Well. Harvey Oliver. (laughs) 
Uh, no, Harvey Oliver's retired. He's now he's running a bar on the Costa del Sol now. Oh, he was. Uh, um, he he's packed away. He's gone. He comes out every now and then. Um, I tell you what's new now is I'm now an actor. <laughs> I um yeah I am I I did a I, I started out as an actor um, with the uh, Barbara Speaks with the stage school, and um, I I have to say that I was devastated when this pandemic came in, not only because of all the terrible scenes and terrible stuff that's been going on around the world, but, you know, it's suddenly I've gone from being this really busy comedian on the cruise ships going around the world and um, suddenly it stopped. And I had no, nothing in the book whatsoever, like most of my colleagues. And um, I got this phone call out of the blue from a guy called Joe Wemble, who I know, uh, who I've known over the years. He said, we're doing this film. He said, we want to film it when uh, lockdown uh, finishes. He said, it's called Touching the Blue. It's about an old snooker player. He said, I'd like you to do it. I said, uh, who else is in it? He said, uh, well, it's just you, mostly just you. I said, you, you've got to be kidding. He said, no. I said, how long's the film? He went, 40 minutes, 46 minutes. He said, depends what we do with it. I went, well, what do you mean it's just me? He said, he's a, a, a snooker player, an old snooker player. He said, he's he's had a breakdown. It's all gone wrong. He was a big player when he was a young um, young man, and he's he's become a, a drinker. He's had breakdowns. His marriages have gone wrong. And he's now making his comeback at the Crucible, and he's playing a young kid, and uh, it's a big thing. And the famous snooker players are there, uh, and they are commenting on this, um, what Derek Hodges has done over the years, and they can't believe it, he's back. And the whole, most of the film, 95, 99% of the film, is in the dressing room at the Crucible, and he's just, he's ranting and raving and going on about how his life's gone wrong and all that, but now he's back and it's his big chance. And the whole film is about that night, and is he going to get there? Is he going to get to the final? And um, it's it's... It, we filmed it over um, with the, all the COVID, um, uh, yeah, details, COVID rules, COVID friendly, whatever you call it, uh, in a little unit in uh, Haynor in Essex, and we had this wonderful um, cameraman called Dave Falk and uh, great producer John Danbury and, um, and Jim Holmes and Joe, and we did this this film in this unit, and we we thought we were just doing a little short film. We did it. Everybody was happy uh, at the end of the week. And we said, well, that would be a nice thing to have in the fire once again. Uh, and they went away and they put, put the film together and they bought it. They showed me it, sent me it, sent it to me. And it, I'm so proud of it. Anyway, they entered it into all these film festivals. And I know nothing about the film festival world. Nothing. So apparently we, we started getting all these laurels uh, these um, official uh, official invitation to the so-and-so film festival, this film festival, that film. So apparently that, that is like a nomination when you, you get, you're, you're being entered into the competition. So um, we have, I think, seven film festivals. We had six uh, official invites. We had um, uh, an, an honourable mention in one in New York. And then out of the blue, and I'm so proud about this, I won... Best actor in a feature in a, um, a film festival in Los Angeles called the World 
premier film festival. And I just couldn't believe it. So there's a few doors opening at the moment. There's a bit of a buzz going on. I, I can't tell you, I'm more excited about the business at the moment than I've been for a long, long time. But I've got nothing in the diary. No. But, but, like but you said, of, there are some doors opening up. Oh, there's a lot of doors opening. There's a lot of empty rooms at the moment. But it's this there's stuff happening. And I mean, I'm just really enjoying it and I've got a buzz. And I feel almost guilty because most of my mates are going, it's terrible, it's terrible. And I'm going, well, it is terrible. But I have had that, that little, that, that phone call out of the blue from Joe Wemble. And I've now got this little bit of, of a buzz going. And, and the film, uh, I'll, I'll send it to you, Josh. Um, I'll send you the press copy. Uh, it, it's really... It's just, you know, it's, I, I'm really chuffed about it. And uh, it's got me going again with the acting. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't even mention it, but I, when I was a kid, I was in a film called Bugsy Malone, um, the, the film with uh, uh, Jodie Foster. Oh, uh, I, played the, I played the part of Louis. And so, uh, you know, it's taken me back to those days. When I was doing the filming the other week uh, in July, when we were doing the filming, I recognised the smells and the, the, the atmosphere, and I, it, even though we were in this little unit, it still had that buzz about it, you know, that we're like you get in a film studio. And it's been, oh, I'm really, well, you could tell, I'm, I'm, I'm more enthusiastic than I would have been. If you'd have interviewed me a year ago, I would have said, yeah, yeah, it's all good. I'm on the cruises, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And if you'd have said to me, what, do you, what would you like to do? I would have said, well, my dream would be to be, uh, to do a bit of straight acting. Well, now I'm achieving that bloody dream, which is great. Fantastic. That is really good. Well, that's all the questions Josh has got written out. But have you got? A... I'll tell you, that was great. They were great questions, Josh. Josh has just asked. So do you think you're now going to go full steam ahead into the acting direction? Um, I, I'm not sure about that one. Um, I mean, a few people are saying that, uh, but I, I've got to earn a living. Um, and I also, I love doing the cruise ships. Um, mm. I don't know if you've been on, ever been on a cruise, but it, the, the theatres on these big cruise ships now are fantastic. Sadly, one or two of the ships now have, have got this slight thing hanging over them at the moment because of the COVID that happened yeah. when the outbreak first started, which is so sad. But because, you know, I was on I was on a ship called the Arcadia and I was on it for five weeks when the, when the um, pandemic started and we couldn't get in anywhere. And I have to say, what they did on that ship, even then, back in April, to make it safe, there was no cases on, on our ship, thank God. And um, I know now... I know, you know, I've got a lot of friends in the industry, obviously, having done it for so many years, and I know what they're doing to make it a safe environment. Um, like everywhere, it's all the hotels are doing the same. Mm. Um, you know, I, I probably, I would like to mix the two. I never want to stop doing stand-up. Never, ever do I want to stop doing stand-up. I'll do that to my dying day. I love stand-up, and I really miss it at the moment. But if, if I could get the chance to do a bit of acting, a bit more acting, I should say, uh, I, I would, I would uh, you know, butter, oh, I, would, I would go for it, you know. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end. 
Thank you to our guest for being the subject of another Beyond the Title interview. If you liked this, why not browse the website and see if there's anything else that takes your fancy. Don't forget to like our Facebook page to receive updates on forthcoming interviews and to see more information about me and what I do. Thanks again and hopefully see you next time.